Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Ganton, and today we're talking about teaching old piano parents new tricks. You can find the accompanying article that goes along with this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 165. Or if you're not a member, colourfulkeys.ie slash 165. Welcome back, lovely teachers. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. Today we're talking about teaching old piano parents new tricks. What am I talking about? Well, this month is Transfer Student Month. So we're talking about all things to do with students who come from another teacher who have previous experience, be it with YouTube, be it with another teacher in your neighborhood, or teacher years ago. They all come with a little bit of baggage, and we're unpacking different things, different challenges when it comes to taking on transfer students this month. And today we're talking about their parents, because it's not just the students we deal with, is it? We also have to communicate with and work with and develop good relationships with our piano parents of our youngest students. So what specific challenges do we have with old piano parents or transfer piano parents? Well, I've heard this from many teachers that this is one of the biggest things for them is that these parents have learned how to do something in another studio and they assume that it's going to go the same way with you. This could be anything from practice to recitals to paying you. And at the same time, you kind of assume that the other teacher did it sort of similarly. But often they didn't, or the parent didn't follow their rules anyway. So we need to find a way to start again. We need to find a way to start from a blank slate with our transfer piano parents so that they can find success in our studio. Now I'm going to walk you through each of the stages here. I want to make two notes before we get going with those. First of all, these are likely the same things that you do or should be doing with new piano parents, okay? So I'm tweaking this to adjust it for transfer students, but really we're following the same process we would for a new piano parent of any type. We're just trying to remove some of the barriers and some of the assumptions that we have a habit of making as a teacher if they're a transfer student. So that's our goal here. And my second note is that if you have a transfer student to yourself, 
this could work too. Meaning if you have a piano parent who's not been doing so well in your studio, who your particular challenges with, who you just feel like you need a fresh start with, well, maybe you walk through a lot of these processes with them. Even though they're not new, you can declare to yourself privately that this is a fresh start and that it starts next month or next September and start fresh with them as best as you can, considering them a transfer from you to you. But for the majority of this episode and in the article, which again is at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 165 or colorfulkeys.ie slash 165, for the majority of this episode and the article, we're going to be assuming that this is a transfer student and their parents. Right, so those of you who have been around a while, you might know that something I feel very strongly about is that you should meet with every family before they start in your studio. You have to have a first meeting, an interview, a meet and greet, a visit, a coffee and ketchup, a, I don't know, pastries and piano, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. But you have to have something that is not a lesson and not a trial lesson and not a taster lesson. Don't put the word lesson in there because this is about getting to know them and there should be no expectation of you teaching in this meeting. So have that first interview. Do not skip this step. Call it whatever you like, but meet with them in some capacity before you begin any kind of proper lessons. Like I said, you might know this from me if you've been around a while, but I do emphasize it quite regularly because I know how easy it is to skip it. I did this sort of patchily and haphazardly for my first several years of teaching, and then eventually I started doing it with all students, and I have seen the rewards. It means if you do it correctly, which we'll talk about in a second, if you do this properly, it's going to establish so many things in the parent's mind and the student's mind so that you get off to a good start and it honestly affects so much of what they do. So if you have a new transfer family, make sure to meet with them first, even though they've had a previous teacher, you should follow the same procedure. At this meeting, you want to find out two things really. Well, you want to do two things. You want to find out about them and you want to communicate with them about you and your studio. We can think of this quite awkwardly like a first date and it can be a bit awkward too so I quite like that as a reference point because you need to find out things about them and you need to be inquisitive and you need to do it in a friendly way just as you would on a first date. So you're finding out what they enjoy about lessons both from the student and from the parent. Was there anything they wish was included with their previous teacher that wasn't? What do they find challenging about studying piano in general or studying music? And how has practice been going? How much do they do? When do they do it? What do they do when they practice? Did they have assignment sheets with their previous teacher? All those kinds of aspects to do with practice are really important to find out too. So this isn't an inquisition. Like That's why I said I like the reference point of a first date because you need to find out all this information, but you need it to be a conversation. So be friendly about it. And definitely, it is not about saying, well, how did your previous teacher do it? Or, oh, really? They did it that way? Oh, gosh, we don't do it that way here. 
No, this isn't about talking down the previous teacher or anything like that, but you do need to understand how they did things and what the family's experience of that studio was. It should be from their perspective, right? It's not about actually what the teacher did, it's about how they experienced what the teacher did and how they, or what they thought the teacher did. So even if the teacher did require 30 minutes of practice five days a week, and that was in their policies. If this family didn't pick up, up on this, that, it, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is how they saw it, which is that they thought they were supposed to practice three days a week, or that they never practiced at all because they thought they had to wait until the first two years of lessons were over. Or, you know, even if they have some idea that you think is slightly off from what a teacher probably said, it's what they think. So it, you need to know where you're starting from. What's the base here? What's the foundation you're working from? I want to make a special note here about their home instrument. Again, this is nothing different from what I recommend with all new students. You need to make sure that I have a good quality home instrument. For me, that is a acoustic piano that's in tune. Or in tune with itself, I mean. It doesn't have to be concert pitch in my studio. <laughs> a lot of pianos are semitone lower. But a, an acoustic piano that's in tune. Or a good quality digital with pedals. And a good quality bench that is at the right height. I have a lot more specification I could give about instruments, but that's not what we're talking about here. You probably already have a minimum standard in your studio. The point, though is that you can't assume what they have just because they're a transfer student. Even if they've been learning for 17 years, ask them about their home instrument. It won't come across as weird. They might just think you want to know because it affects your planning, right? It doesn't have to be an awkward question to ask people what they have at home. But if you find out right now that they have an unweighted keyboard that's only 40 keys, sitting on a dining room table with the student standing in front of it. Well, that's important to know and fix. Don't assume just because they had a previous teacher that that previous teacher was aware of their home instrument, because that many teachers don't ask about it, or had certain standards that you have, or maybe convince them to change it. Maybe they tried, but it didn't work, right? So you're going to have to step in because now it's your responsibility to make sure they make good on their investment in lessons. And that includes having a good instrument at home. I would like to go so far as to suggest a photo of their home instrument without it sounding like snooping. So I like for all my students to take a photo at the start of the year at home sitting at their piano to show me their posture and their setup and they're ready for a great year of piano. For all students, returning students included. So if you can do that and involve your transfer student there, that's a great option to really check what instrument they have at home. But even in this initial meeting, if they say something like, oh, it's definitely a good one. Uh, I can't remember the model. Say, oh yeah, it's just really good for me to know because certain keyboards have certain features which we can use in practice. So if you don't mind just snapping a quick photo and sending it to me when you get home of the model, if you can see the number or the make on it, that would be awesome. And then in that photo, you can either see the model or you can see the piano itself and know whether it is good 
enough or not. All right, so then what do we need to communicate to them at this first meeting? Just like in a first date, you need to be clear with them. You need to be friendly still, but you need to be clear with them about your expectations. We don't have any success in matchmaking if we don't communicate what we want, right? What kind of a relationship are we looking for? And for us as piano teachers, there are three main things that you need to communicate right away. You need to communicate your policies and procedures, like the businessy stuff. So this is everything from how they're going to pay you, how often they're going to pay you, what's going to happen with missed lessons. Are you going to do makeups? Are you not? I hope not. And recitals and how they run and registering for group workshops, all that kind of stuff that you would tell a new family is doubly important here because there might be assumptions. There might be things that the previous teacher did one way that you do another. Maybe previous teacher did allow them to make up all of their lessons on a Saturday morning and you're not going to do that. So they need to know that and they need to understand it before they sign up for lessons with you. Yeah, this can be the tricky part of the conversation, but it needs to happen. It's really important. And it can be tricky, much more so, yes, with transfer students, because let's say the makeup lesson issue comes up and their previous teacher did make up all their lessons. Well, they have much more of an inbuilt mentality that that is what's fair and what's justified. And you're going to have to re-educate them. Whereas a new piano family, you can just explain, this is what we do. You know, I don't reschedule lessons and leave it at that because I don't have a preconception about what should happen. But you can refer to all my previous articles and episodes and YouTube videos about makeup lessons and why you should get rid of them from your studio. The next area you want to be really clear about here is your communication channels. So how are they going to get in touch with you? And... What are your business hours if you have those set up? So if you only reply to texts between the hours of 12 and 3 or whatever, then make sure they know that so they have that expectation right up front and tell them which communication channel you actually want. So do you want them to chat with you through your practice app that you use or email you or chat with you? Can't expect them to follow this right from the letter, right from the word go. But If you communicate it up front and then you reiterate it later, it has that smack of, oh yeah, I did hear that before. Oh yeah, she did. (laughs) We did email her. And so you're setting that first level there. And then practice expectations. So we talked about this from their side. What are they doing so far? And if that doesn't align with what you expect or what you recommend, then you need to be clear about that here. So tell them how much practice you expect, how often. In my studio, this is quite loose and not loose, but not prescriptive. So I don't say 30 minutes a day, five days a week, but I do give them some loose guidelines around how long it's likely to take based on the amount of assignments that I give them and how to check their assignments and what they need to do. And also getting them to the parent to go through the assignments on the day of the lesson with the student. That's a great habit to get students in from the get-go. So they come home and they look through the assignments together and talk about what was done in the lesson and what needs to happen during practice that week, even if the parent is not going to be involved in the rest of the practice that week, say if it's an older student. 
that's still a great first step to summarize the lesson and for the parent just to be aware of what's going on. All right, so the meeting is the setup and it is the bulk of what you need to do, but it doesn't stop there. So what kind of follow-ups do we need? Many teachers will already have some kind of a setup for students applying to you, you replying to their emails when they do, and after the first meeting, setting up the first lesson, maybe even something you usually send after the first lesson. But it often stops there, and it shouldn't. I want you to consider, if you don't have one already, adding an onboarding sequence to your studio, and making sure you use it with transfer students as well, or adapting it specifically to have one for transfer students. If you're a member of Vibrant Music Teaching, you can find our Essential Email Templates course, which will show you how to set this up to go ahead automatically and give you example emails that you can take and tweak to suit your own studio, which will take your parents through the first three three and a bit months of studying with you, which is what I'd recommend, that you have these regular emails going out automatically to new parents, including new old parents, in your studio for their first several months in your studio. Because this is where things really fall off. You have that meeting and you establish those expectations, but put yourself in their shoes. Let's say this is all new to them. Let's say the previous studio worked completely differently, okay? There were makeup lessons, there were two recitals a year and you do seven, there were no group workshops, there were all sorts of different expectations around practice. Well, if all of that information is therefore new to them about your studio, then they've just sat down with you for maybe 20 minutes and learned 40 facts, (laughs) at least. And they won't have learned them all. We wouldn't expect them to if it was a lesson, right? So, Following up is so important and these follow-ups reiterate different bits and pieces about how your studio runs and what you expect from them in a friendly, helpful way. You're their guide to onboard them to help them join your studio with success. Alongside this, you should also be doing some more casual check-ins in person if possible. So say the parent does drop-offs and pickups. Well, you can just spend literally 30 seconds saying, oh, hey, how's the practice going? What are you finding works? Many families love to do it before breakfast. Is that your kind of family or are you more of a rushing out the door in the morning kind of family? So they can be chatty questions that are really aimed around getting to know the parent. When you take that role, when you chat about practice regularly and you ask about it every time you see them, or if you don't see them, text them each week or call them occasionally to chat about it. If you have that as an ongoing thing, It never feels like you just call them up and give out to them, which is what it feels like if you only reach out when there's a problem, right? Be proactive about it when there is no problem and you will be the support that they need and that they reach out to when there is a problem. They will reach out to you first. Say there's a bereavement in the family or They're having extra trouble getting their child to practice because younger child is having trouble in school. They will reach out to you about these things and fill you in and you can adjust your plans accordingly and accommodate them. But if you don't take that role of support, then you just reach out and say, hey, 
Looks like Lucy hasn't been practicing recently. What's the story? It sounds like you're another parent guilt trip raining down on them. And that's not fair to them, and it's not helpful for what you want either. And then, periodically, I also recommend some kind of slightly more formal feedback in both directions. So for parents to report back to you, this can be an end-of-year form or survey that you do. Don't expect all, all parents to do this, but if you do put it out there, you will get some useful feedback and ask a few questions about how things are going, what changes they'd like to see. And you can also include a question here, which is basically geared to get testimonials about, you know, if they were to recommend to a friend, what would they say, that kind of thing. So you can also double up the purpose of this form. When you get in the results from that form, just have a quick look through and split it up into transfer versus non-transfer, like students who started with you from the beginning. And each year, just look at it and see, are there any special trends that I notice in my transfer students that aren't an issue or that I don't get compliments about from my new piano parents who start with me from the get-go? Just have a quick glance through it. You'll spot any glaring trends instantly and you can work to address those going forward. You also need some kind of feedback going in the other direction. For me, this consists of semesterly, so twice a year, parent progress updates. And these are very simple. You can see one in the article that goes along with this episode. Again, that's at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 165 or colorfulkeys.ae slash 165. And you can see the format there. It's just um, six categories, one slightly optional. So oral work, practice, reading, technical work, that's the optional one, technique, and theory. So the technical work, that only goes in if students have started like technical exercises, scales, that kind of thing. We usually leave it out for the young beginners. But it's six categories for most students. We just write a few lines in each category and then we lay out three top goals for the next semester below that. So they can see that we're on top of how their kid is doing, that we pay attention, that we have a plan and that we have their goals in mind for going forward. And then another great thing to do to stay in touch with parents over the long term is to have some kind of parent workshop. This is something that I only started maybe two years ago now, doing every so often. I get the parents together and we talk about a specific topic and I give them some time and some prompts to chat about how things are going for them so that they can hear from other parents that they also find this challenging or that they used to have trouble with this or that in their home practice and it's gotten easier since they tried this or that. These might even be things that I've suggested to parents, but I don't feel badly about that. I know we need to hear from people in the same shoes as us. So it means a lot more to parents, or it means something different at least, that they hear it from other parents. It feels more believable when it's another real parent and you can hear that they really did struggle to get their kid to practice, but when they split it up into shorter chunks, that worked great for them. So maybe this parent will try that out. So those kinds of workshops can be a great addition to add to your studio for all kinds of parents. All right, so those are my tips for successfully adding new transfer piano parents into your studio. I would love to hear from you though. So what have you done to make uh, transfer parents feel welcome in your studio? 
What kind of questions do you make sure to ask them, possibly because you've been burned in the past? And what struggles do you come across with your transfer piano parents that you don't have with new piano parents? Let us know in the article, in the comments for the article that goes along with this show, vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 165 or colorfulkeys.ie slash 165 if you're not a member. Or hit me up in the Facebook group, that's Vibrant Music Studio Teachers. Or on Instagram. I like to hang out on Instagram and talk shop. So find me there and comment on one of the posts that goes along with this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. I think it's a topic that maybe we haven't talked about enough. And it can be a big factor in success for your students. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts and I'll see you back here next week. Vibrant Music Teaching members get five new games or resources at least every single month that keep them inspired and wanting to become a better teacher each and every day. If you want to join the best community of teachers online, you can go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.